it's great to have Bill here uh, with me, and we're going to go into, before Bill brings us the message this morning, uh, go into a time of grill Bill. Um, so I'm going to ask him a couple of questions. Um, for those that don't know you, Bill, can you give us a little bit of uh, uh, insight into your story and your history, your background, and, and your experience? Sure. Great to be with you, Jordan. Uh, I'm a, a country boy born and bred in Bendigo, came to Melbourne the day after I turned 18 to do some study. I was a secondary school maths teacher for a few years, then became a youth and young adults pastor at Sindel Baptist, and then for about 33, almost 33 years was senior pastor. Still on the pastoral team there a day a week, uh, but have a role with the Baptist Union. I'm married to Julia. We've been married for just over three years. I was married to Jenny for almost 34 years. She passed away in 2009. We have four adult children and eight grandchildren. And I love sport, football and cricket, and love playing cricket with a bunch of guys from Kilsyth South. That's great, that's great. Um, and uh, tell us, why are you so passionate about developing uh, young leaders? I'm really passionate about developing young leaders, but I'm really passionate about developing people because I reckon all of us are created for significance and there's good works for us to do that we've been shaped to do. So I'm really passionate about helping everyone that I can to develop. But leaders are certainly uh, people in whom I want to invest as well because they can give uh, direction and leadership in business, in school, in university, wherever. So I'm really passionate to help people develop their full potential and be lifelong learners all their life. Awesome. And uh, tell us a little bit about your role uh, with the BUV at the moment and how you're interacting with our interns. I have a three-day-a-week role with uh, the Baptist Union of Victoria and the two of those days are to be invested in developing emerging missional leaders. And so one of the key parts of that is to develop a, a process called Emerge, and uh, five people from Kilsai South, amazing, pace setters in this community, but in, in the denomination as well. It's been fantastic to engage with them. Each one of them needs to do a certain amount of a curriculum. They're involved in the local church here at Kilsai South. Uh, they're part of a monthly gathering that we have together where there's input and reflection and challenge, and each has to have a coach as well. So it's a, a real privilege to partner the other day, a week at uh, the BUV, is working with senior pastors at the larger churches. Awesome. Um, and how have you seen the KSBC interns um, develop uh, and engage with the Emerge program this year? I love the way that they are so enthusiastic about it. It's great to see Kate involved this morning up front. But it's really encouraging to hear that the different ways that they're engaging here at Kilsyth South, but they are so enthusiastic also about engaging in the, uh, the monthly gathering that we yeah, it's great. Awesome. I'd encourage you, uh, church, to get up behind our interns. Um, consider sponsoring them, uh, either financially or partnering uh, with them in prayer. Um, yeah, please uh, send us an email or contact us via Facebook or any any way um, that you can get in contact with us, and you can let us know uh, how uh, we can let you know uh, how you can go about. Um, supporting and engaging with our interns, um, even in the midst of this pandemic. Um, so, Bill, thank you so much for joining us, um, and uh, we're excited to hear uh, 
the message that you're going to bring to us this morning. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan, and thanks, Peter, and thanks for the privilege of sharing together with uh, friends from Kilside South, but all across the, the place as well, where people are listening and, uh, and connecting in. I bring you greetings from the Baptist Union Victoria Support Hub. You're one of uh, 243 churches that are part of our denomination here in Victoria, and we're delighted at uh, the stories we hear about the things that are happening, God's doing through the, uh, the church here at Kilside South. I wonder whether you've seen the movie Invictus. It's about 10 years old now, but it's an inspiring story about President Nelson Mandela's dream. After 27 years in prison, of a dream of a better future for South Africa, where there could be a united South Africa. And he, he explores how could he fulfil that dream. And uh, he wants to model it out, and he did it brilliantly. He wants to gather other committed and passionate followers who could choose to follow, even if it was unpopular to follow. And he had to challenge lots of values and responses of the people, whether black or white, in South Africa. And he used the 1995 World Cup rugby uh, to, to encourage the whole nation to get behind the South African team. And if you've seen it, you'll know that there are many poignant moments in the film. Francis Pinar, the captain of the winning South African rugby team, said of Mandela, I was thinking how a man could spend 30 years in a tiny cell and come out and forgive the men who did it to him. Uh, Mandela also speaking with the, the black bodyguard who was in charge of his bodyguard, he was uh, challenging that guy called Jason to say, Jason, my bodyguard needs to be both black and white because when people see me in public, they see my bodyguard. Reconciliation, he says, starts here. Forgiveness starts here. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear and that's why it's such a powerful weapon. Uh, it's interesting 2,000 years earlier, Jesus stood in his hometown of Nazareth where he'd been a carpenter and he read a passage from the same book that Peter read from this morning, from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he said, this is my manifesto for a better world. And wherever he went, Jesus announced that the kingdom of God had come. There was a new king in town. And to be part of the kingdom and to help spread the kingdom news would necessitate a change of mind and the trusting of one's life to the king. He said it would be good news for uh, the poor people. He said it would be pardon for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the burdened and broken, the time for God to act, to forgive and reconcile women and men to God and to each other, to break down racial and gender and social barriers. He taught with a ring of authority. And he gave people the inside story on how to access the life and the blessing of God. He urged those who followed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, today the same Jesus calls us, chooses us to partner with him in a radical, transforming and unstoppable movement. Today, let's explore what it means to be growing as disciples or followers of Jesus. You know, the word disciple means learner or follower. I remember being in Latin classes in school many years ago now, 
five years of Latin at secondary school. And when the teacher would come in, he would say, Salvate discipuli. In other words, greetings, disciples, pupils, learners. And we would respond with, Salve magister. In other words, greetings, teacher, master. But you know, the biblical word for disciple has an even richer meaning and richer element. It's more like apprentice. An apprentice follows and watches and learns and helps and practices and practices and practices. An apprentice is trusted to have a go under the watchful, nurturing eye of a teacher, receiving feedback and having another go and keeps practicing until he or she can do it just like the teacher. In biblical times, a young man would study and memorize the first five books of the Bible. At that point, some would stop formal education and then work uh, or develop a business with their family, while others would go on and study the Talmud, which was a record of rabbinic discussions about the Jewish law and ethics and customs and history. And they would dialogue and question their teachers about this. It's reminiscent of Jesus in the temple at the age of 12, interacting with the rabbis. And when these young people, 12, 13, 14, would be interacting with the rabbis, they would finally get to the point where they would ask a rabbi if they could be his disciple. And if the rabbi thought that the kid had what it took to be and to do what he was and did, he would agree to take him on. The disciple would follow the rabbi around and learn from him and do what he did and practice. And the goal was to follow so closely that he would be covered with the dust of the rabbi's feet. With such an understanding of a disciple, a disciple of Jesus not only seeks to know what Jesus knows, but grows to be just like Jesus and do what Jesus does. You know, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he looks at us, every one of us in fact, and says, I think this woman, this man, this young person has got it. She or he could become like me and do what I do. I don't know whether you recall that Jesus said on one occasion to a bunch of followers, you didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear lasting fruit. And I'm going to empower you to do that. This morning, really briefly, I want to consider four of Jesus' disciples. One is Judas, one is Mary, one's Andrew. And the fourth we'll get to a bit later on. But let me read to you from Luke chapter 6 and verses 12 to 16. Where... It describes what Jesus did before he chose the 12 disciples. It said, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of, Jesus, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. It's interesting, isn't it, that these were 12 ordinary men. There was not anyone really wealthy or famous or influential among them. 
was as if Jesus said, give me 12 ordinary men and I will change the world. They're also a, a strange mixture. You know, if Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector had met in a dark alley before they met Jesus, probably only one of them would have come out. Notice also that when the disciples are listed, that Judas is mentioned by Luke and, and is mentioned by Luke. It's interesting that he uses the phrase that Judas became a traitor. Think very carefully about this challenging thought. It reminds me that Judas was not always a traitor. This was actually a choice that Judas made. He didn't grow up through the Jerusalem Secondary College known as the traitor. His yearbook photo didn't have the caption, Judas the traitor. It wasn't the case when Jesus was looking to call his apostles that he had 11 and needed one more, a traitor, so that he knew that Judas was his man. Judas was a disciple and considered very responsible. He had the task of being the financial manager of the resources of Jesus and his team. And Judas doesn't get many mentions through the gospel, but Gospels, but it's worth noting that when he is mentioned, mostly it's not in a great light. He's referred to as a thief. He entertains the prompting of Satan. He objected to people wholeheartedly expressing their devotion to Jesus. He looked for a way to betray Jesus for financial gain. But you know, one of the places where Judas is mentioned is in John chapter 12 and the first seven verses where we meet the second of the disciples, Mary, another follower of Jesus. And Judas in this passage is objecting to her enthusiastic devotion to Jesus. And we read that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you'll not always have me. You know, Mary took that which was most precious and costly and used it completely to serve and to honour and to care for Jesus. Her devotion led to the house being filled with a beautiful fragrance. And as Jesus predicted, that story keeps being told. He said she did a beautiful thing. Mary was a really good friend of Jesus and extended hospitality to him and care for him. You know, a few verses later in that same chapter in John 12, we find a third disciple and uh, his name is Andrew and he was helping some Greeks connect with Jesus. Uh, let me read it to you. Yeah, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. 
Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Andrew was a fisherman by trade. And mostly when we read of Andrew, he's listed as one of the disciples. However, every other time but one when he's mentioned, he's introducing someone to Jesus or showing hospitality so people can connect with Jesus. There was no fuss. He introduced his brother, Peter, who happened to become the leader of the early church. He introduced a boy with a lunchbox and encouraged the boy to offer the lunch to Jesus and thousands were fed. And now he's wanting to connect some Greeks with Jesus and we hear Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he went on to say, if you want to love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you'll keep it for eternal life. Let's stop there for a moment. Three followers of Jesus, Judas, Mary and Andrew. What was it that made the difference in their lives? Why and how did Judas become a traitor? Yet Mary, who from all accounts seemed to have had a pretty rough start in life, was so devoted. And Andrew seemed to steadily grow in following Jesus and just kept looking for opportunities or responding to opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. We don't know that he was a great orator, but we know that he could relate to people and they could relate to him. Why is it for some of us and for some we know who started with such promise that following Jesus isn't the top priority anymore and that it's true even after Jesus choosing us to be part of his team for transforming the world? This morning, in the remaining time, I want to suggest five practices for apprentices of Jesus, five things that will help us grow as disciples in this season or any season. And the practice number one is releasing the control of your life to Jesus, and that needs to be a daily practice. You know, apprentices practice, they release the control of what they do to another, and they do it daily. And as, as soon as they do that, they're finding new dimensions to life and doing things that they could never previously do. This is a principle of fruitfulness. You know, one of the things that I prefer to do is to drive the car myself. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to let him do the driving been said of Jesus that he's the only one in the entire universe who can control you without destroying you and it's insanity to run from him you know it's interesting that Jesus says I want to give you life in overflowing measure I don't want to give you something that's less than the best practice number two is practice serving where Jesus serves you know if you follow Jesus you find him stopping to be with people because he loved people. It was like he had a basin and a towel wherever he went. He stops to be with some people who are highly regarded in society, but normally it's to challenge those people about what they're doing. 
but mostly you find him making time and stopping to connect with hurting and troubled and grieving and estranged and lonely and sick and hungry people, every one of whom bears the image of the king. And this is true even at parties. He welcomes and accepts them. He serves them. He offers hope and invites them to trust their life to him. And a byproduct of serving like Jesus is that you get the focus off yourself and cooperating with Jesus, you make an unbelievable difference to the lives of others. Homes and workplaces and neighbourhoods and shopping centres and hospitals and sporting clubs and leisure centres have lots of people. Wherever you go, there are lots of people who are facing daily challenges and growing followers of Jesus practice serving. They love people into taking Jesus seriously, even those who may seem to be unlovely or unlovable. Followers of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, know that anyone who connects with Jesus becomes a new creation. But if you read on in the, uh, the scriptures in that same chapter 12, you'll find Jesus at one point saying, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And practice number three for apprentices of Jesus is this. When making a decision, choose God's perspective. You know, Jesus models out a key principle of growing. He acknowledges that there are times in life where there's a troubling or an agitated mind or a tension of one's heart about what to do. And at many times of decision and choice, there's an, the importance of being totally alive to what God wants you to do and as unresponsive to sin as a dead person is to stimuli. It needs to be a moment-by-moment -moment practice. And I love the idea of phone a friend. And Jesus is the best friend that you'll ever have. And it's time to make sure that you phone a friend when you need to make a decision. Uh, Andy Stanley, in, in a book called The Best Question Ever, suggests that the sort of question that you ought to ask whenever you face a decision is what is the wise thing to do here? What's God want us to do? It's your will, not mine. Practice number four is make time to meaningfully nurture your relationship with God. You know, like I know, that to build a relationship, to get to know someone and what makes them tick, what pleases them, what fuels them, what's important to them, you must give more than the dregs of time. And if you're a growing apprentice of Jesus, you'll prioritise this time like he did, digging into and studying the word of God and memorising it, obeying it. But this time for him is also where he listened to God, honestly sharing the depth of what he was facing, pouring out what was on his heart. You know, I have a, a special place every morning where I share time with, uh, with God. Just saying to God, new day. Jesus, if there are things that you are wanting to do today, I'd love to partner you with, with you in those. If there's things as I open your word, as I journal together, I want to hear those things. I want to be responsive to those things. And I was challenged the other day, not just to have one chair, but to actually have another chair where I do that. Because every day, Jesus wants us to be connecting with him. And not only in a special time at some point through the day, but to practice his presence all through the day and to keep checking with him. The final practice 
is to be part of a community who do life together and with Jesus. This is an important part of growing as a follower of Jesus, learning from and serving one another, being with each other and all of life's challenges, praying for each other as you serve others, extending hospitality together to those who don't yet know Jesus and sharing resources with one another and working together to bless others. I wonder whether you've got a community like that. I actually visited your website and I see a bunch of you sharing life and sharing community together. I want to encourage you. That's a really important practice of apprentices. You know, friends, like Judas and Mary and Andrew, we have the opportunity every day to define how we will be known and remembered. Each year we hear stories of talented and famous people who've had their reputations impacted by poor choices. You and I know people who've been impacted, had their lives and their reputations impacted by poor choices. And in the future, when they are spoken of or referred to, these bad choices, poor behaviour, will be part of their story. Do you want your life to count? My question to you today is, what are you becoming in 2020? We don't control life. We're not masters of every part of our futures. Events will unfold in the future as they have with COVID-19 that we would not have chosen and were not of our doing. And that's why as people of faith, we put our future into God's hands and trust him for his grace and his care. But there is still much that's within our control How we respond to life is our choice. Moral and ethical choices are our decision. How we treat those close to us is our choice. How we use our time and share our resources is a personal choice. How we treat our bodies and what we do to assist or harm our health is in our control. How much time and attention and priority we give to nurturing our relationship with Jesus and our connection to people of God is a choice that we will all make. I said there were four disciples. It was Judas and Mary and Andrew. And the fourth one is you, or potentially you. What are you becoming in 2020? Your moment-by-moment choices, what you practice will be important in growing or not growing as a follower of Jesus. In fact, the choices you make today determine the stories that will be told about you tomorrow you know Mandela had a vision that was a portion of the vision of Jesus for this world and Jesus says to us today I've chosen you to be on my team I want to enter into a covenant with you I will be with you always my spirit will be able to empower you for everything that I've called you to do and friends remember that lasting change is often the result of simple faithfulness in something that may seem inconsequential, but a big impact can start with a small act. You know, one of the things that I love to do from time to time is participate in our local park run. And it's inspiring to see people of all ages and stages, young and old, be part of that. But you know, one of the things that I love about park run, many times when I participate at our local park run, I see two runners who run together. One is a sighted runner and one is a vision-impaired runner. And they run with a a piece of uh, rope linking them together. They each hold one end of the rope. And as they run, and I can tell this because they always pass me, so I see them in front of me. 
that when they come to a, a little bump in the, in the uh, pavement, somehow they talk to one another and alert or they run around it and what the sighted runner does is simply allow the vision impaired runner to put his hand on the sighted runner's uh, shoulder. And if they're about to pass someone, if they're about to go over a bump, there's that communication together. And my question to you today, who is your running mate in 2020? You know, there's, a, there's an invitation from Jesus that I reckon is too good to refuse. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? In other words, he's saying, are you tired from trying to do it on your own? You don't have to do it on your own. You weren't meant to do it on your own. He says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And here's the apprenticeship bit. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, this is an amazing invitation. My question to you today is, have you accepted it? He would love you to accept it. Would you like to accept it? Friends, if you'd like to explore that more, the, the team here at Kilsyth South would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk to you about it. How you can simply allow Jesus to become the one who directs and controls and leads your life such that your life becomes one filled with adventure and you learn the unforced rhythms of grace, you learn to live freely and lightly and you do the things that he has created in advance for you to do. God bless you. May you be those who follow Jesus closely in 2020. God bless you.